Genesis chapter 3. We are still looking at the burning bush. We have two more sermons on God's encounter with Moses at this bush. Two more after tonight's, that is. We'll begin at verse 10, where God commissions Moses. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So he said, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, Yahweh, God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, Yahweh, God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, appeared to me, saying, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Parasites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, to a land flowing with milk and honey. Then they will heed your voice. And you shall come, you and the elders of Israel, to the king of Egypt, and you shall say to him, Yahweh, God of the Hebrews, has met with us, and now please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to Yahweh our God. But I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go, no, not even by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders which I will do in its midst, and after that he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and it shall be when you go that you shall not go empty-handed. But every woman shall ask of her neighbor, namely of her who dwells near her house, articles of silver, articles of gold, and clothing. And you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. Then Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me. Or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, the Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a rod. And he said, cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. And the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it. And it became a rod in his hand that they may believe that the Lord, God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Furthermore, the Lord said to him, Now put your hand in your bosom. He put his hand in his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And he said, Put your hand in your bosom again. So he put his hand in his bosom again and drew it out of his bosom, and behold, it was restored 
like his other flesh. Then it will be if they do not believe you, nor heed the message of the first sign, that they may believe the message of the latter sign. And it shall be if they do not believe even those two signs, or listen to your voice, that you shall take water from the river and pour it on the dry land, and the water which you take from the river will become blood on the dry land. Then Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. But he said, O my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well, and look, he is also coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you what you shall do. And he shall be your spokesman to the people, and he himself shall be as a mouth for you, and you shall be to him as God. And you shall take this rod in your hand, with which you shall do the signs. So Moses went and returned. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, don't let us be reluctant prophets. Forgive us for the silly objections that we mount against your plan for our ridiculous whataboutism Father it seems so foolish in the mouth of Moses and yet we hear it in our head every single day as we mount these exact same objections to your calling in our lives Father forgive us help us to see your patience your discipleship you're working through these things that Moses wanted to know, and your equipping of your servant to do the task you called him to. Thank you that you equip the called. Father, help us to trust you. Help us to heed your word tonight. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, so far in our sojourn at the burning bush, we've seen that God is a fire, that he is the self-feeding fire, self-existent one. We see further that he sends a man to do the job he wants done. And what we see tonight is how he equips and disciples that man whom he sends. This, there, that's why there are alternate titles. For the sermon on the front of the bulletin, I have the mediator creates a mediator on the back of the bulletin, how God disciples. Both of these are true. We know that it's the Lord Jesus Christ who appeared in the bush as the angel of the Lord, great mediator, the one that the father sent to do his will. And he is teaching Moses how to be like himself, how to be a mediator between him and the people of God. And we see 
two major things. That God disciples by his word and by his patience. Obviously, the major thing is God's word. God spends most of our text speaking, answering Moses' objections at length and in great detail. And then God speaks so much out of his patience. His words don't just reveal what he thinks, they reveal his heart of willingness to work at Moses' pace with Moses' objections. Even ones that we would consider, frankly, laughable. That's our God. So remember, he commissioned Moses. We talked about that at length last week. Come now, and I will send you to Pharaoh. And how Moses' first gut reaction is, no way, nuh-uh. Not me. You've got the wrong one, Lord. And this is expressed then in the course of five objections to which God returns five answers. God disciples Moses by his word. If you're not feasting on God's word, you're not getting discipled. What are Moses' objections? Well, we'll look at them in order. The first of them is, who am I? Verse 11 of chapter 3. Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Now, based on what the narrative has emphasized to us, we tend to say, who better? You're a Hebrew, but you know your way around Pharaoh's court. You're the perfect one, Moses. Was that how Moses saw himself? He saw himself as a hired hand on a two-bit ranching operation on the backside of the desert. You know, he was a prince of Egypt a lifetime ago. Some of you in here may have had some pretty exciting things going on in 1981 that you wouldn't dare identify yourself as today. And certainly that's how Moses felt about his former career as prince of Egypt. That is so far in the past. Me, the prince of Egypt? No. Sure, back in 1981, that was a different story. 40 years ago. But now, Lord, I'm not the one. And of course, we make this same objection. Who am I to speak up about my faith? Who am I to tell somebody who's asking me I think I have an answer for you. Who am I to serve in office in this church? Who am I to serve in civil government? I talked to somebody this very week who said, well, I'm reading this book and I have these questions and these problems. And I said, well, that's great. Why don't you write to the author? He'll probably address them. To which the fellow said, I'll let you do that. 
Who am I to write to the author? Well, you're the one with the questions. This is Moses' first question, and it's totally irrelevant in God's book. We'll get to the answers in just a moment, but God's answer is not, Moses, you're really somebody. God's answer is, I'm with you. When you're doing what I called you to be, a mother, an employee, an officer in the church, a, right, fill in the name of your job. I am with you. And therefore, your identity, qualifications, or lack thereof are not the issue. I am the last person on earth that God would ever call to be a, oh, I can say it for me, a pastor. Therefore, I will do my best to do a terrible job. That's how we tend to think. Well, God put me here and I'm not qualified to do this. Therefore, I won't try. Don't mount this who am I objection. Well, Moses' second objection, verse 13, who are you? At least that's a very simplified form. Moses comes up with this question, what? What is your name? Not that I want to know for myself. I'm asking for a friend. And if we read the rest of the text of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, we can read the rest of the Bible and the issue of God's name never comes up again. John Stott, commenting on this, said maybe, maybe Moses, like the rest of us, is really good at advancing hypothetical objections that are never going to happen. What if they want to know your name? I can't go without your name. Now, as we'll see next week, God's name is very important. And the answer to this question is a good answer. But the people didn't want to know whether Moses knew the name of God. Moses is just throwing everything he can at this burning bush in the attempt to get God to say, you're right, I did pick the wrong guy. You know what, Moses? Have a nice day. Then my favorite, my favorite is the third objection, the middle objection, chapter 4, verse 1. Then Moses answered and said, but suppose they will not believe me. What if it's not? God had already said in chapter 3, verse 18, they will believe you. Then they will heed your voice. You shall come, you and the elders, to the king of Egypt. God promised they will listen to you. And so what's Moses' next question? What if they don't? God, you've promised that by riches, uh, I'm sorry, by humility, the fear of the Lord, are riches, honor, and life. What if they're not? You promised that those who honor their father and mother will dwell long on the land. What if they don't? You promised that whoever has left houses or lands, brothers, sisters, fathers, mothers, children, for my sake and the gospels will receive in this time a hundredfold and in the age to come eternal life. What if they don't? You can throw this objection at anything. It can neutralize any promise from God. 
And we are all masters of this objection. This is the statement of unbelief. Right? It's not a bold, that's not going to happen, Lord. It's a sneaky, passive-aggressive, hypothetical. A what if. What if they don't? What if our nation does descend into civil war? What if somebody tries to seize power illegally? What if, what if, what if, what if? We are so good at sucking God's promises into our anxiety vacuum where they get choked by the dust of hypotheticals. It's not so easy to get them back out, unchoke them, wash the dust off, and say, I believe God's promises. God said they would listen, therefore, they'll listen. God said that if I trust in Him with my whole heart, He'll make my path through life straight and smooth. And I believe it. God says that if I give to Him, I will have enough. And I believe it. We have to unplug that anxiety vacuum. Better yet, we need to throw it in the garbage can. This what-if-it's-not objection has no place in the Christian life. Moses was good at deploying it. We're all good at deploying it. What if I starve? What if I lose my job? What if my kids turn out poorly? What if one of my children, God forbid, should die? What if my spouse cheats on me? What if... What if I find out that my child is gay? I, right? We can come up with all kinds of what ifs, what abouts. What if your promises aren't true? What if you fail to come through at some point, God? What then? But notice, again, that God takes even this objection seriously and gives him three signs. To say, okay, here, if they don't believe you, I will double down. I will provide additional evidence that verifies your claim that you met with the Almighty. All right, when you left Egypt, you were not a snake charmer of any kind. When you left Egypt, you did not have the power to make your hand leprous and then fix it. When you left Egypt, you didn't have the power to pour river water on the ground and turn it into blood. If they don't believe you, these signs will convince them. But the patience of God. God forbids us to carry that bag of worries around. Kick it to the curb. Let the garbage man take it away. God's promises are faithful. Well, the next objection Verse 10 of chapter 4, Then Moses said to the Lord, I hate public speaking. Or some variant of the above. Now, most commentators believe he is actually talking about a legitimate disability here. My tongue is thick 
I don't form my words right. I have problems with articulation. And God, of course, responds with, I am the Lord of disability. We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. But Moses says, I can't do this because I hate public speaking. Now, we're a bit of an oddball church. A very large proportion of us stand in front of crowded classrooms or do other kinds of things that involve public speaking every day, whether in the classroom or in the courtroom or in some kind of other public life setting where we're giving directions to a large number of people at once. One of us, I hear, is even part of Toastmasters, this organization where people public speak for fun. But that was not Moses. He didn't want to do that. And it's true. Fear of public speaking is rated right up there with fear of getting eaten alive by sharks and all these other horrible things that people don't want. Those of us who don't have to public speak for a living are probably really glad that we don't. But God doesn't let this objection get in the way of his calling. Just because you don't like public speaking doesn't mean that you can therefore say, so God, I'm not doing it. You're calling me to a role that involves public speaking and I won't answer the call. And I won't be a leader in your church because that would mean public speaking. I won't teach this class that you put me in front of because that involves public speaking. I won't speak up at a city council meeting when I believe that when my conscience is telling me that I ought to because public speaking is scary and I'm not going to do it. God's call overcomes that. And it's not just the whole I'm afraid of public speaking. Again, there's legitimate disabilities. I can't walk very well. I can't talk very well. I have back problems. I have nerve pain. I have some kind of disfigurement. And therefore, I withdraw. One of the toughest one of these to deal with is hearing loss. I go into a situation where multiple people are talking and I might as well be on Mars because I have no idea what's happening. God talks about that. Who made the deaf? Disabilities are not easy or pleasant, nor are they barriers to the call of God. Whatever that call might be in the particular case of each one of us. We think of Moses as Michelangelo portrayed him on the tomb of Pope Julius II. If you haven't seen that, look it up on Google. Better yet, go to Italy and take a gander. This is Moses as he was meant to be. The guy is a beast. 
nine feet tall, bulging biceps, muscles everywhere. He's the kind of person where you take one look at him and say, I don't think the children of Israel would have mouthed off to this guy. Michelangelo's Moses is not afraid of public speaking. But this Moses is afraid of public speaking. Don't let that fear keep you from obeying God's call. Well, finally, the real objection comes out. There are two different ways to read verse 13. Oh, my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever you may send, says Moses, literally. Now, the NIV just paraphrases and says, please send someone else. And it does appear that perhaps Moses is saying, send anyone you want, Lord, except yours truly. Anybody but me. But it also could be that Moses is saying, fine, have it your own way. Right, a real enthusiastic response to the call. One of our children responded to a command with fine a couple of weeks ago. And we said, where did you learn that? Oh, you say it all the time. We do. That's Moses. Fine. Right, a final objection. I don't want to do it, and either I'm just going to outright say, please send somebody else, or I'm going to say with my attitude and my body language and my whatever that I don't think it ought to be me. I'll do it under compulsion, but I won't like it. Don't have this attitude toward the call of God. May it never be that we're not heeding God's call to faithful obedience in our place and calling, wherever that is, because at the end of the day, we don't feel like it. Because we want to say, fine, whatever. You put me here, Guess I get to go be a dad again. Guess I get to go be a mom again. Guess I get to talk to this unsavory character off the street again. Right, if you're fighting God's call this evening, heaven help you. Because I can't. God's patience is infinite in an important respect just as all God's attributes are infinite. But it's not infinite in this respect. He will not wait forever for you to start obeying. Yes, God is infinite. All his attributes are infinite, but he has a definite time limit on your probation. You have a certain amount of time fixed by God himself start obeying his call. You don't know how long that time is. You can easily call it the rest of your life, so it is. How long is that? We have no idea. In our minds, always, the rest of my life is an indefinite amount of time. 
In fact, a potentially infinite amount of time. My life will never come to an end. Certainly not till I'm over 90. But God's patience is not infinite. And when Moses gives this final whatevs, God's anger burns. And I'm not a cowboy. It's not my drive, my job to drive you into service in your home, in your church, in your workplace, in your school. But it is my job to warn you that God will drive you. And that if He has a calling on your life, He will win. I can't necessarily tell you what that calling is. I can certainly tell you that whatever calling you're already in is your calling. And if you're a husband, a wife, a father, a mother, that's your calling. Or part of it. If you're a pastor, an elder, a deacon in the church, that's your calling. If you're an officer of the state or an employee of some larger business concern, that's your calling. God has put you in that very role. And He expects you to obey Him there according to your place and calling. God is going to win. Don't make Him get angry before you answer His call. Why did He get angry? Because He's so patient. He gave Moses every opportunity to say yes. He explained to Moses at length everything that Moses needed to know or might even need to have along. God provided. And so when Moses' response is, I am incredibly unwilling to do this, Lord, God's anger burns. You have to wonder, did the burning bush flare up, flare out at him in such a way that he realized that at this point it was not going to be healthy to make any sixth objection Right, so God says, verse 17, you'll go. And verse 18, so Moses went. God gave Moses every opportunity. God worked through every difficulty. God revealed his patience in terms of his presence. I will be with you. Back in verse 12. You want to know who you are? It doesn't matter who you are. What matters is that I'm there. Right, if you're trying to replace your bathroom sink, that's not a lot of fun. But if you happen to know that Chip Gaines from the home remodeling TV show will be right there the whole time to help you with anything you run into, that changes the equation a little bit. God is with Moses in that sense. God's presence is such that your identity and personal inadequacy literally don't matter. Of course Moses can't deliver the people. God can. And then on top of that, God promises a sign. Moses doesn't ask for a sign. God gives him one. That's how patient God is. I will give you further evidence that shows that it's really me and that you're really called to this. And then further, God reveals his name. 
What is the point of his name? The main point of his name, as we'll see next week, is being. I am. I am he who is. God's being grounds his being with and his being for. Moses isn't dealing with someone weak, someone derived, someone with limitations, somebody who's dependent on something else. Right, we can feel our dependence very keenly as we meet in a rented room. We just started renting it a couple of weeks ago. We've signed the contract, but we haven't actually paid any rent because we haven't worked through the insurance issues. We could be asked to leave at literally any time. That's not like our relationship with God. God isn't dependent on a host of outside factors. He is. And he reveals his patience in telling Moses that. In fact, he even goes on to give Moses the main points of all his speeches. Moses says, God says, you can't talk. I'll be your speechwriter. Well, if you can't speak, it really helps to have a competent speechwriter. Well, here the Almighty says, here's what to say. Here's the speech. And he promises beyond that extraordinary power and favor. I will strike Egypt and they are going to be so ready to let you go that they will load you down with gold and jewels. Commentators from ancient times have been very puzzled by verse 22. Why are you going to put silver, gold, and clothing on your sons and on your daughters? What does that have to do with anything? Well, I have a feeling that nobody in here gives their children jewelry to play with. Here, son. Here's mommy's diamond ring. Don't lose it. What is God saying? You will have so much jewelry, so much gold, so much silver that you'll let your kids play with it. It will be everywhere. That's extraordinary favor. God even promises the three miraculous signs, words in the mouth, an assistant who will do the actual public speaking Right, Moses, you can go into Pharaoh's presence. You don't even have to open your mouth. Your big brother will do it all. And here's a magical staff. that can split oceans, turn into a snake, turn water into blood, etc., etc. Yes, you'll come in carrying the shepherd's staff, looking like an abomination to the Egyptians, but you won't be an abomination long when they see what that thing can do. This is the patience and generosity of our God. In this light, Moses says, what if they don't? Sounds a lot like our, what if they don't? God is infinitely generous, infinitely patient. He provides for His people. He shepherds us. He speaks to us. He tells us what we need to know. Can you worship God in His patience? Can you imitate Him by being patient? Know that His tenderness and generosity is for you too. Let's pray. Father, help us to know you in your patience. Thank you for your patience in working through Moses' objections. Thank you 
for what you taught him. What you showed him of yourself. Lord, jam up our worry vacuum that chokes your promises in the dust of hypotheticals. And give us the grace, Lord, to trust you and know that your promises are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Lord, meet with us now at your table, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.